So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about so that when I'm through, you'll know what I talked about. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about that often we worship the God of our imagination. And that the God of our imagination, all whatever we're imagining, is that's what we'll get in return in our relationship with God. Uh, whatever, however we imagine God is to be about this subject, that subject, whatever it may be, that often the God that we think about, the way that we think God is, that, that the God of our imagination, in return, that's sort of what we get in our relationship with God. It's a strange thing. It's, it's a strange thing. Now, in, in Genesis five, 6 and verse 5, you don't want to turn there, but it says, God saw the wickedness of man's was great in the earth, and that every imagination of a thought of his heart was only uh, evil continually. Imagination of the heart, evil continuously. The areas of man's wicked heart can be many. I mean, you have envy, jealousy, lust, greed. Then you have the things that God says he hates, which is also a part of what can go on in our minds. You know, these things that the Lord hate. This is Proverbs 6 and verse 16. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that divisive wicked imaginations. That's strange that one's in there. Because here, here we go again with what's going on, wicked imaginations. And I don't want to say that we think wicked things about God, but we can think misconceptions about God that are not true. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And often that's the, the how, whatever those imaginations are, that's the God that we can sometimes get. Feet that be swift to run to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. So all sin, all wickedness, all evil begins in the imagination of the mind. How we think about a subject. How do we think about a subject? How do we think about God? So what is the problem in this area, area of our imagination? Well, the problem is often we're on automatic pilot. Uh, we don't think about what we think about. <laughs> uh, 98, someone said that 98% of our lives are spent on automatic pilot. Less than 2% of our lives is spent on making conscious decisions. You know, we think, like, well, no, I'm thinking I'm making conscious decisions all the time, you know. But a lot of that is just automatic pilot also. Uh, so when I read every imagination of the thought of his heart was, was only evil continually, I realized those people were on automatic pilot, just doing what came automatically to their minds. So my question to you is, what kind of evil imaginations of the heart do you have that you're not even aware of because you're on automatic pilot? You just wake up every day and this is how you think about God. You're on automatic pilot. You know, there's a fascinating scripture back in Numbers 13 and verse 33. I like this little passage. It, it, it's... it's uh, Sort of the way we look at ourselves or think about ourselves. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come up of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grass, grasshoppers. 
And so we were in their sight. We looked at ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how they looked at us. <laughs> uh, how, how we perceive ourselves is reflected to others in the world. How do you perceive yourself? You perceive yourself as a loser? A winner? How we perceive ourselves. And I can guarantee you that how we perceive ourselves, how we reflect ourselves to the world, often you're not even aware of because you're on automatic pilot. You know, you're just not aware that, that how, do, how do I perceive myself? I remember a guy used to speak, I think it's at Statesville, and he had a pretense of humility. And he would walk up to the podium, sort of like, like, like this. Like someone just kicked him in the rear end or something. You know? and, and it's like, you know, sometimes I felt like saying, look, straighten up, approach it with some confidence here. And, uh, but how we perceive ourselves is reflected to the world. And uh, often that is on automatic pilot also. The God of our imagination, how we perceive God. 98% of our lives are spent on automatic pilot. Less than 2% of our lives is spent on making conscious decisions. We do not think about what we think about. We can be locked into the God of our imagination. I'll look at some examples. We'll look at some examples in the Bible. In Romans 1 and verse 20, talks about a group of people that were locked into the God of their imagination. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we abandon the power of creation, and the power of creation is, the, is that it has a creator. That's God. When, we do, when people do that, we, you, know, you become a fool. I sometimes pity people that live in a city. <laughs> I, we used to visit our daughter in Charleston, South Carolina. She had a little back deck, and it overlooked a busy highway. And I would sit out there and just nearly go crazy, uh, watching these cars just zoom, 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 zoom. And I'd look in the car, and I'd see someone moving around. You know, I would think, well, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder where they're going. I wonder who they are. How would you ever get a message to these people? It was asphalt and concrete, asphalt and concrete, and just zipping by, zipping by. And I, and I just thought, you know, I can see how a person surrounded by asphalt and concrete could become foolish in their thinking about God. Could, doesn't have to be, but it but could, when that's all you see. Versus, you know, just everything that we can see, like I talked about with the greatest concert we could ever go to at uh, Pentecost. Anyway, Romans 1 and verse 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination. There's the word again. They became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the un uncorruptible God into images made like to corruptible, corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They created a God of their imagination. The God that we imagine is often the God that we will get. Now, how, how, do, how am I understanding this? How can that be? 
Well, there's a little principle in the Bible. Galatians 6 and verse 7. You don't have to turn there. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What are we sowing as far as our thoughts about God? What are you sowing in there daily? Well, that's, chances are that's what you're going to get in return. What are we sowing as far as our thoughts about God? How God works, what God is doing, how God handles this, how God handles that. Your relationship with God. So, examples. If, if the God that we imagine doesn't care if, you, if you're sick, down and out, down on your luck, financially broke, then don't be surprised <laughs> that when you're sick, you know, you're sick, down and out, financially broke. Don't, don't be surprised when those things seem to come your way, if that's the God of your imagination. The truth is, and here's the thing, we've got to counter these, the God that we imagine with truth from the Bible. Critical to do this. Don't trust the God of your imagination. What, what does the Bible actually say about God? Well, let's take a look at it. Psalms 139 and verse 1. And as I read this, ask yourself, does this reveal that God cares about you? Notice this psalm. Oh, I'm reading from the New King James. Oh, Jehovah, you have searched me and have known me. You know my sittings down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Does this sound like a God that doesn't care? No, no. This is a God that's deeply concerned about you. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, Jehovah, you know it. You have closed me in behind and in front and laid your hand on me. In other words, you surround me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me is high, I cannot uh, go up to it. Where shall I f uh, go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in, in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the furthest part of the sea, you are there. Even there, your hand leads me and your right hand shall hold me. So I, you can't get away from God. This is a God that cares deeply about you. Uh, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light around me. Yet the darkness does not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, as is the darkness, so the light is to you. For you have possessed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous, and my soul knows it very well. My bones were not hidden from you. You were, when I was in secret and skillfully formed in the lowest part of the earth, your eyes saw my embryo. In your book, all my members were written. The days they were formed and not one was among them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I can't get away from you. So, so a God that deeply cares about you and what you're going through. So the God of our imagination that runs on automatic pilot must be confronted with truth. The truth from the Word of God. Uh, okay, the God that we imagine is the God that often we will get. 
if you worship a God that doesn't care if you're suffering, then don't be surprised when God seems far away when you are suffering, when you're hurting. Truth of the matter is God is sensitive to your pain. You know, sometimes we think, well, I just got to grin and bear it. <laughs> Whatever, I'm just grinning, you know, maybe, maybe that's good sometimes. But I remember our daughter one time she was riding a little mini bike or a motorcycle that I had, and she, she wasn't familiar with riding bikes. And she hit something or hit her leg, and she came back, made a little circle and came back. And, you know, I could tell she was in pain, hurting. But she was pretending that everything's okay. I said, Rebecca, you're hurting. I said, you don't have to be so strong. And you know, sometimes God may say that to you. You don't have to be so strong. I'm here to help you. I'm here to encourage you. Share your burden with me so I can lift you up and help you. You don't have to be so strong. Does God feel our pain? You know, the reason for Christ's sacrifice was to feel our pain. So he, he knows what it's like when you're hurting, you're suffering. That's the reason he had to go through the scourging and the beating and, and everything he went through. So the God of our imagination must be confront, confronted with the truth. And the truth is, for we have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in, no, excuse me, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly because of this. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what did Christ experience? He experienced pain, humiliation, rejection, denial. He, you know, his best friends turned their backs on him. Yeah, so, so he knows what that's like. He knows what that's like when you've, you've been rejected, when you are suffering. The God that we imagine is often the God that we will get. You know, if you worship a God that doesn't really care about your pets, let's bring that one up, then don't be surprised when they get splattered on the highway. <laughs> uh, and yet I read the truth. God, there's not a bird that falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. You know, there was a bird, birds hit our windows all the time. We've got a lot of glass in the back of our house. And there's a bird recently, you know, knocked himself out and knocked himself silly. You know, he's lying on the deck. He's, he's upright, but he's not moving. And I said, God, you know that. You know about that bird right there that just fell, that one right there. And a half hour went by, and I was praying for the bird. <laughs> Forty-five minutes went by, and, and he was gone. So he recovered, and I was grateful for that. You know, God made his covenant not only with Noah, but for animals as well. I mean, you read about that in Genesis 9 and verse 8. So later God told Noah and his sons, pay attention, I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the flying creatures, the livestock and all the wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the earth animals that came out of the ark. So I think that's interesting. Covenant with, with, with the animals. So does God care? Of course he cares about your pets. Of course he cares. Absolutely. Everything he created. Absolutely. Billy Graham said this. He said, God will prepare everything for our perf perfect happiness 
in heaven, or we can say kingdom of God. And if it takes my dog being there, I believe he will be there. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, there's not many dogs. I, I've had one favorite that I would, I'm going to talk to God about. Um, his name was Butch. He was a Labrador retriever. And I'm going to ask God for a favor. Would he resurrect that, that dog for me? And I'd like to say, now I don't want to see all my animals, you know. There's a lot I don't want to see no more. But, uh, but, but there's some that were special to me. And I, as a loving father, I think, well, sure, I mean, is this a problem for God? You know, you want to see that again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The God of our imagination, you know, if you worship a God that's angry, an angry God, if you are very hard on yourself, chances are you're worshiping a hard God. If you're hard on yourself, maybe an angry God, if you're always beating yourself up. And yet the truth, you know, our imaginations about God must be confronted with the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's the truth. Romans 8 and verse 1. So the God of our imagination must be confronted with truth. This is so critical to do. Don't always just, and that automatic pilot, the way we think, you know, God is responding and going to do, don't put that up against God's truth. Am I worshiping the God of the Bible or am I worshiping the God of my imagination? Now, I want to turn to one more passage here. Psalms 18 and verse 25 tells us something about God. Maybe sort of ties into what I'm talking about. The God of our imagination is often what we get. Um, Psalms 18 and verse 25. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the upright man, you will show yourself upright. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the forward, you will show yourself forward. It seems to imply we encounter a God like either we are, that's what we get in return, or the God of our imagination. Now, some people may say, well, wait a minute. Isn't God constant? Regardless of the God of my imagination, isn't God constant? Isn't he always the same? Well, yeah, he is. But there's a, there's a passage, a statement that Jesus made. And he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And you know, often we think of faith as positive. But sometimes we can have a negative faith about God, the God of our, of our imagination. So according to your faith, be it unto you, often that's what we get in return. So, so let's, let's, let's take this seriously. Let's evaluate how we view God, especially when you're going through hard times. You know, that's when it gets tough. When, you, when you're going through hard times, when, when you're suffering, when you're hurting, when you're, whatever it may be. That's when we have a tendency to worship the God of our imagination. And that, that sometimes we need, you know, it needs re, re, uh, reworking the God of our imagination. We need to put it up against the Word of God. Is this true, the way I'm thinking about God? Does it jive with the Word of God? So, in closing, the God of our imagination must be confronted with God's Word and God's truth.